0: Yeah, but I want to start with a question. If you put a whole group of church ministers in a room, what do you think they talk about? You've got a whole group of ministers, stick them in one room, what do you think they talk about? Well, the answer is, I can't tell you, it's top secret. Yeah. Kamal, don't say a word. No, no, actually, there's nothing like that at all. The real answer is that it's, it's pretty boring, usually. Um, you know, if there's a group of ministers you don't quite know, it can be very mundane and you don't know how many times I've answered the question, so how's Epping going? You know, that's just how it works. But, but if it's a group of people, a group of ministers who know each other and have a relationship and are close to each other, we actually tend to talk about things that really, really matter, things that are really important. Uh, and it was like that in my old minister's retreat group um, over the years. And uh, we talked about things that Things like our own personal godliness. We talked about topics that really benefit our churches. And a few years back, we spent some time discussing and brainstorming about one part of the Christian life that believers probably don't talk about enough. And that something is joy. Joy is actually really, really important in the Christian life. So we shared our thoughts, our experiences on joy. We talked about the sort of things that steal joy from us. Uh, we looked at what God says about it in the Bible as we trace joy across different passages. Uh, we talked about how we can grow joy in our life and grow joy in our churches. And we prayed about joy as well. Joy is actually a really important part of the Christian life. So I wonder what role you think joy has then. Or let me be even more specific. What about your Christian life? How, do, how does joy fit in? Is joy a part of it? Is joy even on your radar? Or how might you even define joy? What do you think it is? Well, today, that's what we're going to think about as we continue with our series, Growing Followers of Jesus, the journey. Because, see, joy is part of our daily walk with Christ. It's part of being a follower. It's part of being a disciple. So here's how we're going to break it down. We're going to first look at how to well, how we'll briefly define joy. Uh, and Then we'll think about where to find it. And finally, we're going to explore how you might pursue it. And So sort of the, the, the what, the where, and the how of joy. So let's start with the what. What is joy? Well, the Oxford English Dictionary will tell you that joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. And that's how we, we often understand it. Isn't that right? You know, it's connected somehow with feeling good. You know, it's if you ask the average person what uh, brings you joy, well, they'd have a list of the sort of things that bring them pleasure. I mean, if you asked me for my list, I'd list my family, a nice, good, strong cup of coffee and electric guitars in no particular order, you know. Uh, but I want to say, though, that there is more to joy than just that feeling of pleasure, Okay, there's more to it. Did you know that there is a particular type of joy that comes of being a follower of Jesus? A joy that goes even deeper than the list of pleasures. There's something that we might even call Christian joy. But let me clarify as I say that I'm not saying we've just got to chuck feelings out the window. I'm not saying, oh, now we've settled on the theological description of joy and it's all about just using our brains and understanding it. No, that Oxford definition we see in the screen will always sort of connect with us. We're human beings. We're created with emotions. Uh, If we look across the Bible, it's always and quite often connected emotionally as well. Uh, Take Paul and 2 Timothy as one example. He's writing to his dear brother in Christ and he says, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. Within this letter about the gospel and about deep Christian service, there's still an emotional connection with a fellow believer. Okay, so somehow there's that, you know, some sort of happiness connected with joy. That that emotional aspect can be there. But what I want to say tonight is that it's more than that as well. It's more than just that. And so this brings us to where? Where do we find joy? Well, here's where we want to get into those Bible passages we had read. We're going to start with Psalm 47. And here we see that one source of joy is God himself. We find joy in God himself. Uh, Let's read the first couple of verses. Uh, There the psalmist writes, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. This psalm tells us that a right response to God is to joyfully worship him as subjects of the king. And as the psalm goes on, it lists some of the reasons why, and it says that God is the one who conquered the other nations. Okay, So for the people of the time, as they reflected on this, uh, they knew that that happened when the original uh, people, they were freed from slavery in Egypt, or they could look at God bringing them into the promised land and defeating the enemies before them. They knew a joy because they knew that God was their conquering king. But the psalmist doesn't end there. He keeps adding on to this picture of why there's joy in God. And as we get to the end of verse 4, we get a bit more of the story. And the people here are described as being greatly loved by God. And so they've got this loving, powerful king. And then we move on to verses 5 and 6 where the picture is God in the highest place. He's there, and the people are shouting for joy. They're playing their instruments. They're singing his praises. Psalm 47 is a picture of absolute joyful worship. That's what it is. And then the final verses say that part of this praise is because this God is bringing all nations to himself. They're saying he's that king, he's the king. But you see what's happening here? Joy is connected with who God is. It's connected with knowing him as the powerful and loving and sovereign king. So let me ask you if you know God like that, the kind of language that we see here in Psalm 47. Well, if this sort of response seems a little bit foreign to you. Let me suggest something. Do you realize that we do the same thing as Psalm 47 most Sundays here at church? Now, we don't usually have trumpets or clapping that we do sometimes, although very rarely have we had trump- uh, trumpets and clapping at the same time. That's the next step for us, okay? Okay, but, uh, you know, many of the songs and the hymns that we sing, they work the same way, okay? If we look at the words, they are a reflection of who God is and what he has done, and they are a joyful response of worship towards him. So maybe one simple thing that we can do as we think about joy is to reflect more on the words that we sing, even if it's a song that we've sung many times before. Or ask yourself, what is this song teaching me about God or reminding me? Or ask the Spirit to move you beyond just the ritual, the habit of singing, and towards the one we sing about. Because part of Christian joy is bound up in God himself. but it's also in the things that God does. Joy is there in what God does. Back in the early 80s in the United States, uh, there was a woman named Deborah Kiley. She took a job aboard a yacht. Now, this was a routine trip. It was taking a boat uh, from uh, Maryland, sailing it down south down to Florida where the owner of the boat lived. it Turned out, be anything but routine. Uh, Out of the five people on board, only Kylie and one other person had enough seagoing experience. And then most of them, including the captain, acted as if it was just some sort of pleasure cruise and spent all their time drinking. So they weren't ready when only a couple of days into the trip, storm came out of nowhere and 70 knot winds and 12 meter waves just destroyed the ship and they managed to get onto a lifeboat, things weren't good at all. One of the crew was uh, cut badly, and the blood attracted sharks that just followed the lifeboat. A couple of days later, two of the people, uh, because they had no water, and because they were already severely dehydrated from all the alcohol, uh, they started drinking seawater in desperation. That only led to hallucinations, and then one person, and then later another, just jumped overboard and were eaten by the sharks. And then later that same night, the woman with the wounds died from blood poisoning. So basically, only Kylie and one other person were left. They were on a drifting lifeboat, had no idea where they were, and they were literally very, very close to death. Thankfully, though, the story has a happy ending because they were spotted by a Russian cargo ship. But as I share that story, I want you to put yourself in Kylie's situation for a moment. And I want you to think about it like this. Do you think that when they were found, she was indifferent or just didn't care? Or do you think that the very real And horrific danger that she was in, the danger they had faced that had already taken lives, the danger that was still there in front of her, do you think that only deepened her joy in being saved? That's a big picture of the gospel as well. And it's what we see in our other Bible reading as we move from the Old Testament to the New and we open 1 Peter. There is a great rescue that leads to great joy. Look with me, please, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Now, for those of you who were here last week, think back to our sermon. What was one way that we described the gospel? We said that it's a shift from one reality to another. Those who were dead and sin and under God's wrath are now here described as people who have a new birth. The good news is that the dead are made alive and they have a living hope. That's what we see. We have a guaranteed heavenly inheritance. Those rescued from danger have not only been saved, but they've been given so much in this life and the next That's the big picture. But it plays out in the day today, Peter says. Joy is there even when a person faces hardship. Uh, Look as we move on to verses 6 and 7. In this, now the this here is the gospel, the work of Jesus, what he has done to bring people that new birth, okay? In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is telling his readers that the joy of the gospel is not only that we have been saved, but that in everything we face, God is up to something. We are so much in Christ that even our sufferings have new meaning in Him. And here we see that persevering in trials, sticking with Jesus even when life is tough, it actually proves that our faith is real and that it's genuine. Our sufferings, when we're in him, are not meaningless. And this leads to praise and glory and honor on the last day. So there's not only a Christian joy despite hardships, but in the midst of hardships as well, within hardships. Why? Because as we journey with Jesus, as we move along the path of following him as his disciple, he is in the thick of it with us, and he's up to something amazing. Jesus is always, always at work in the lives of his followers. And as Peter says here, that's something to rejoice about. And with that in mind, verses 8 and 9 fill us out even more. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's also possible for the believer to be filled with joy because we're on a journey towards something wonderful. Every blessing connected with belonging to Jesus, it's waiting for us as we move towards and as we reach the the fulfillment of our salvation. So Christian joy comes then also from knowing that we have a secure and rich heavenly inheritance waiting for us. What Jesus has done, what he is doing and will do, it leads to a great love for him. And of course that means a filling of joy or filling with joy that we can't even put words on. Like how Tim Keller reflected on this sort of thing recently. And he said, the opposite of joy is... I wonder what you think might be the answer there. He says the opposite of joy is not sadness, it's hopelessness. The opposite of joy is not sadness, it's hopelessness. All of this means that our daily walk with Jesus has joy naturally infused in it. True Christian joy is bound up in God himself and is bound up in his gracious gospel. That he would send his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's where joy comes from. But still we're left wondering how to pursue joy. I mean, if we're honest, we don't always feel joy, do we? I don't know anyone who's joyous all of the time. Uh, Sometimes there are uh, times when joy is weak and sometimes when it's strong. And then, of course, there are the times when we seem to have a whole lot of doubt Let me tell you, all of that's very normal, okay, in the life of a believer. But there are ways of pursuing joy as well. Let's move on to the how. How do we pursue joy? One part of this is knowing where to look. Back in the year uh, 2000, Google hired an employee named Chade Meng Tan. And he eventually became known for his very unique role in the company. Uh, He led these mindfulness classes for the other employees and they were based on his own path from misery to happiness. And eventually he wrote some books on the subject that apparently he's some sort of expert on corporate mindfulness and and that kind of thing. Uh, Here's what Tan teaches. He teaches that our temperament can be shaped. And so he has developed a three-second brain exercise for finding joy. Okay, so here's apparently this is what you do. All we need to do is notice things like this. Notice what it's like to drink some water when we're thirsty. Or what it's like to move from a hot room to a room that's air-conditioned and more comfortable. Or to be in that moment of connection when you receive a text from a long-lost friend. Basically, he says, you know, joy is all around us we just got to see it, learn to recognize it, tap into it, and then the more and more we make that habit, we'll get rewired and we'll become more and more joyous. Apparently that's the secret to joy. But now here's my take on that. While it is a good thing to notice moments of joy, and while, you know, it's a good thing to learn to be thankful for the little things as well, there's something missing with this approach. It's based on the assumption that things around us are good in the first place. Do you get that? I mean, what about those people who live in a poor part of the world where they don't have any clean drinking water at all? What about where they live where there is zero concept of any kind of cooling system in the sweltering sun? What about those people who are truly alone and they never receive a hello or a phone call, let alone a text from an old friend? Now, I get what Tan is saying. There is some merit in the kind of things he's teaching, but I cannot see how it can ever lead to that leap, uh, that deep and lasting joy. That kind of joy has to come from beyond our circumstances, it has to be bigger than us. It has to come from the one who can infuse meaning and purpose and hope into any person in any situation, into any life. So one thing we need to do is wrestle with where we are looking for our joy. It can't just be in the stuff around us. It doesn't work like that. See, to think of some examples, if our joy is fully bound up in our husband or wife, well, we're going to be disappointed sometimes because nobody's perfect. Or if it's in our success, even the best manager in a top company can let go when they could be let go when the company decides to restructure, or if it's in our looks or in our health. Well, let me tell you what I'm beginning to learn more strongly these days. Okay, age kicks in and takes its toll. I know you're surprised to hear that from me. Okay, but but if our joy is in Jesus through God's gospel, you know what? Every single one of those examples can be actually more properly joyous. Let me tell you how that works. Because when our joy comes from God first, from him, and all of our joys are in the right place, I believe God uses these same things to bring us joyous blessings. So to flip those things around so they're a proper joy, we can thankfully appreciate our husband or wife because we know that we too are imperfect but we're forgiven in Christ. We can define ourselves by more than our job or our success because they know who who are we first and foremost. We are people loved and redeemed by our Creator. And we can know that while we weaken physically day by day, while our bodies wear out over time, God is growing us more and more into the glorious likeness of his Son as we fix our eyes on what is unseen. You see how it works? Part of pursuing joy is to make sure that we look in the right place. We will never find it if we only purely expect it from our circumstances. Or we seek to find it in the perfect life. Because if we do, we will be horribly disappointed. Another part of pursuing joy is to look at our obstacles to it. I want to here I want to give you just one example. Think about it this way. When things are tough, what is your default response? Do you grumble and complain? Are you a complainer? Or do you stoically say, oh, it's no big deal, even though everyone around you knows actually it is a big deal? Or do you humbly admit that God is up to something, even if you can't quite put your finger on what it is at the moment? Now, you know where I'm going, don't you? The the third response is definitely the better of the three, okay? And I also want to encourage you, strongly encourage you to not make excuses for the first two. Do you want to know why? To grumble or try to pretend that problems aren't there can lead to something that will always kill your joy, and that something is bitterness. The Bible talks about and warns about not sowing seeds of bitterness for very good reason. In another church setting, I once knew an older lady who, looked, there's no other way for me to say it. She was just often very, very grumpy, okay? And uh, when we came to our meet and greet time in the service, uh, she would never get up out of her seat or shake hands or talk to people. Uh, she would sit there uh, rigid and not respond, And one day, somehow, I can't remember how this happened, I ended up speaking with her about this very thing, and she said to me, in my day, no one would dare crack a smile in church. Do you want to know how I responded to her? I said, I am so sorry that this has been your only church experience. I am so sorry for you. This woman had cultivated bitterness in so many parts of her life over such a long time that she had little or no room left for Christian joy even though it was literally all around her. There were people reaching out to her and she could not even respond or see it for what it was. Watch out for the things that will rob you of your joy, especially bitterness. Finally, in thinking about pursuing joy, please know this. To know joy, you have to spend time with the source. We've already seen who the source of joy is, haven't we? Think about it like this. If I never spend time with my wife, Alison, or with my children, do you think I could ever truly delight in them? If I never spend time with my family... Can I ever truly, truly delight in them? It's not possible, is it? The same goes with God. If we never spend time with him, how in the world do we expect we're going to grow our joy? If We cut ourselves off from the source. So please find ways to spend time with God. Notice how I'm saying that. I'm not saying the final application for tonight's sermon is to read your Bible and say your prayers. I'm not putting it like that. Okay, You have to find what works for you, what kind of shape that will take. But however it is, find ways of spending time with God. The principle is simple. The more we connect with him, the more we will grow in our joy. Okay, So find ways to be with him and hear his promises and reflect on his truth, uh, to reflect on what Jesus has done. And Let me share something encouraging in that. Uh, in a sermon of this length, we can't talk about every Bible passage and joy, but don't forget Galatians where it says the joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And so the great promise is that as we spend time with God, the Spirit who lives in us, he'll be at work, and he'll be bringing forth that joy out of us as we reflect on God and spend time with him. So let's be encouraged. God wants to pour this joy into our hearts. So as we wrap up then, I want to come full circle and go back to my minister's retreat group. Do you want to know how we ended up defining joy after we spent all the time talking about it? Okay, here's what we said. Joy is an attitude of the mind rooted in a confidence in God's sovereign work and love which affects the emotions. It's an attitude of the mind rooted in a confidence in God's sovereign work and love which affects the emotions. Now, yes, we're a bunch of Presbyterian ministers. I think it might be a little bit too wordy in some places, but, but I think we did a pretty good job. Friends, Christian joy is an essential part of our walk with Jesus. Okay, It goes beyond emotions, though it may be connected with emotions as well. Sometimes it might be strong. Sometimes it might be weak. Often it might seem fleeting. But it's a deep and expected part of us growing as a follower of Jesus and being his disciple. It's found in knowing God and knowing his great work of grace in the gospel. So as we continue to grow as followers, let's not forget to enjoy the journey. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you that your desire for us is to be people who know joy. And Lord, while we didn't reflect in all of the Bible and every possible verse about joy, we see that you promise it and you command it and you provide it, And you grow it. And we ask that you will do that in us, Lord. Help us to see where things get in the way of joy from us looking in the wrong places or if there are seeds of bitterness or things like that. And Lord, we ask that you'll point us to the work of Jesus, that you'll encourage us and give us opportunities to spend time with you. Help us to tap into you, our great source of joy. And we ask that your spirit will be powerfully at work. Uh, Lord, please grow each one of us in this and encourage, help us to encourage one another as well. And Lord, we ask that as we walk with Jesus, a growing joy will be part of our growth in him. And we ask this by your grace in his name. Amen.